Real sports talk for real sports fans. Swing it a man. Slam dunk. Touchdown. Sports. It's Jimmy B and TC. Oh, yeah. The word you're looking for is wow. Here's Jim and Trent. All right, everybody, we continue a second hour here with Jim and Trent on the Jimmy B and TC show on the Big Talker 1700. We are on Monday through Friday from 4 until 6. Right in my wheelhouse, partner, you know me. I can't do those early morning things. That just That's just too difficult on an old man. Well, that's where we started back in the day, Jimmy B. When uh, we started nearly three years ago, it was bright and early in the morning from... What, 7 to 9 o'clock? I, I don't know how you made that work. It was only for, what, four or five months before they moved us over to the noon hour. But how did you survive that? I, I figure the way that you like to party, there's no chance. Well, you used to yell at me all the time because you could hear me sipping my coffee oh, over God. the microphone. Oh, it was yeah. awful. Well, now you just do <laughs> other things that annoy the crap out of me. So though things change, the more they nothing stay. Nothing has changed. Real, nothing has really changed. Well, I just annoy the hell out of you. A little bit of a change. A lot of day baseball going on here, Jimmy B, as we kick off the 5 o'clock hour. The, the Twins, for once, actually win a baseball game as they get it done 4 to nothing. And uh, I told you a bit earlier in the program, watched a lot of that had Ken here in the studio obviously Mm -hmm. from noon to two his Blue Jays against my twins but their young right-hander Fernando Romero Jim I don't know if you got to see him at all today this young guy was dealing and he struggles a little bit with control but all his pitches have a ton of movement he's a sinker ball pitcher so a guy that throws basically his fastball every time has that downward motion to it because of that doesn't give up much homers but also can struggle a little bit because everything he throws is moving. It was working today. He was outstanding, and and at least for a day, stopped the bleeding for the Twins. But hey, I know there's a lot of guys out there. You play fantasy baseball. If you want to have a wait and see on Romero, go pick him up. He was really, really good. Gets a pretty good Blue Jays offense. There you go. Uh, look, uh, I guess your guy, uh, Fernando Rodney, uh, saved the day again? Well... I, I wouldn't go that far after after what we've seen out of him. No, he got through unscathed, the non-save situation. Hey, maybe that's exactly right. what he needs. Uh, back-to-back days that he is gone and not giving up. Last night was so frustrating, Jimmy B. It put me I in a grumpy was, mood. Yeah. Had a couple of leads, blew them both, and uh, lost that game in extra innings. How about the Cubs now? They get throttled this afternoon, 11-2 the final. In itself, not a big deal. Lose a couple games to the Rockies, who is going to prove to be at least a solid team this year. The concern, Mm -hmm. though, Jim, once again, you Darvish was terrible today. And watching that early on, getting behind, it's just you Darvish now falls to 0-3. Gives up five uh, five earned runs, six overall in four and a third innings. Jim is, I mean, it's early, but a sunk cost yeah. here. Boy, that that signing. You, I think Cubs fans got to be at least a little bit nervous right now, don't they? Well, I would, I would be. Yeah, I mean, I'd be scratching my head over that. What in the wide, wide world of sport is going on here? But then, Trent, you want to compare it with Clayton Kershaw? Because he's got a losing record right now yeah, as but well. Jim, 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 Jim. I'm not going to go Darvish and Kershaw. There's no comparison. No. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that you have one of the best pitchers ever in baseball who is struggling. His team never gets him any runs, which is the problem. And then you have a guy in you, Darvish, who was terrific 
earlier in his career, went to the Dodgers, didn't pan out, got huge money to jump up to the Cubs, and now he's been a major disappointment, at least here in the early portion of Major League Baseball. Look, can he get it back? Can he start to win a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, God Almighty, we play all the way into September and then October, November for playoffs. So, yes, there's plenty of time. But if I were a Cubs fan and I saw Darvish is headed to the mound uh, for in, in the next three or four days, yeah, I'd be nervous. Absolutely, Trent. You got it. Jim, I'm a little disappointed in you. I thought baseball was starting to rub off. But when you bring up Clayton Kershaw's 1-4 record, I just go back to scratching my head. Come on, Jim. His ERA I'm just saying he's 1-4. Right, right. How much control does he have of that? Very, very little. Win-loss record is the worst metric to measure how good a starting pitcher is. That you're going to find out there, Jim. There are so many different things that you can look at. I said, though, Trent, I said, I didn't. I just said he hasn't gotten any run support. Right. I so, said so, that. So the concern but, but, is but, uh, what zero. I'm saying is, zero what I'm, Clayton I know that. Yes, but what I was saying is, is that you have these high-priced guys, one in Darvish with the Cubs, the other Kershaw with the Dodgers, and they both have losing records. That's That was my only comparison. Nobody is going to give up the ghost on Clayton Kershaw. You asked me about Cubs fans, should they be a little nervous? My answer was, yes, they should be a little nervous until he can right the ship. If he does right the ship, Trent, that was the only comparison, was just their current records. That's it. Even to put them in the same breath is ridiculous. And Darvish, after (laughs) what we saw last year in the World Series, and everyone just chalked it up, hey, he was tipping pitches. The Cubs will be able to figure that out right now. It's not going to be a big deal. He was good over the weekend against Milwaukee, but outside of that, it's been a bunch of rough starts. The, the first one of the year against Miami was bad. Atlanta, he doesn't. In fact, look at this, Jim. So he has now started six games. Four of them, he hasn't even got into the fifth inning. He hasn't got through yeah. five in four of those six starts. This is concerning. I think at a big, big level for the Cubs. This is what they went out. They knew they were going to have yep. to pay for pitching. They did it for Lester. They did it for Darvish. Lester worked out incredibly well. And even if John Lester, though, he's off to a nice start this year, even if he doesn't prove to be a guy that you're paying $20 million going forward, he paid it because he changed the culture in that clubhouse. He brought a World Series title to Chicago, yep. to the Cubs organization. That cost is not a big deal. Darvish, on the other hand, he was the next guy. He was the guy that was anticipated to take that role from John mm-hmm. Lester, and it has not proven out. It's May 2nd. Yes, it's early. It is concerning on that one because when you're going up against a Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs or a Madison Bungardner or a Max Scherzer or whoever it is or or DeGrom and the rest of the group, Syndergaard with the Mets, throughout whoever you want, and your ace is Hugh Darvish, that doesn't match up very well regardless of how good the offense is. 11-2 the final. The uh, Cubs lose it here today. A couple more baseball scores for you. Boston over Kansas City 5-4. Cleveland outlast Texas 12-4. It was in extras Detroit over Tampa 3-2. And those Cardinals keep winning. They knock off the White Sox 3-2. You're up to date on baseball. Enough of that. We're talking football next, Jim. I know you like that. Football talk coming up on the other side as we take you up until 6 o'clock. Jimmy B and TC 
on the Big Talker 1700. Mitch Sherman joins us next. You found your home for real sports talk for real sports fans. 1700 KBGG. Welcome back, everybody. We go all the way till 6 o'clock right here on the Big Talker 1700. Mitch Sherman is our guest. ESPN covers the Big 12. He covers the Big 10 in college football. The man is everywhere. And we always appreciate it when he comes on the show. Mitch, how are you and how busy have you been? Or are you finally getting a couple of days uh, of quiet time? I am uh, doing well, Jim. I hope the same for you. Uh, May is uh, definitely a different speed month, a speed of month when it comes to uh, college football and college sports. But uh, it'll get busy again. You guys are uh, you guys are going to get over here for the College World Series this year in June, right? You, you told me that for like five years in a row. So, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, spring football is, is uh, wrapped up around the country. So on to some some summer projects in August. We'll be here before we know it. You know, it's interesting from the standpoint of the NFL draft, and you cover a lot of these players, and you focused in always on the Big 12. So let's start then with what Cleveland did, and it leaks out during the day, during draft day, that they're going to take Baker Mayfield. Uh, Your rundown on Mayfield, and was that the correct selection in your eyes by Cleveland? Well, Cleveland knows a lot more about his professional uh, uh, potential than I do from watching him play in college. Uh, you know, in my opinion, he was a great college guy. Um, I, I don't see anything about his his game as a quarterback that will will have a problem translating to the NFL level. But so many times it's a mystery, uh, especially at the quarterback spot. It's just hard to know who's going to emerge. Um, NFL teams have struggled with that I think as much as as uh, people who watch the college game and, and and fans in general but if there was anybody in this draft who had a chance to energize uh, the the Cleveland Browns you know Baker Mayfield is 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 probably as good as you're gonna get first of all because it's got to be at that quarterback spot I mean you could say that Saquon Barkley was the best player in this draft and he, he very well may have been but when you're trying to do what the Browns are trying to do and, and completely rebuild something that's won one game the last two years and had struggles for so many years prior to that, I think you need to start at the quarterback spot. And, you know, Baker just brings an energy. He brings uh, a swagger. He plays the game with a lot of passion. He's going to wear it on his sleeve. I think he's going um, to – I think they're going to love him in, in Ohio. Uh, despite what happened last September in that state, and you know, if he can win game, if anybody can win games uh, coming out of college this year, you know, I, I think that uh, he's he's as good of a of a pick as you're you're going to have. So, long answer to a short question. I think it was a good pick for uh, for the Hugh Jackson and the Brant and the Browns. Hey, Mitch, uh, good to have you on again. And uh, the Big 12, you mentioned Baker Mayfield going number one. A great coup for the conference overall. There has been a lot of talk about you know numbers down in terms of draftees for the conference as a whole, but numbers dipped back up, uh, came back up a little bit this year. Do you think that's uh, more a case of the NFL, the continued revolution of offenses? We obviously saw you know what's happened with the Patriots and them going to a lot of principles in the passing game that we see, the RP that we saw out of the Eagles is is the NFL and their evolution maybe helping out in terms of Big 12 guys making that step to the league? 
I think it's uh, it's it's um, it shows that what happened a year ago was kind of an anomaly in that. Yeah, the Big 12 hasn't had the same kind of numbers and hasn't had probably the same kind of talent or definitely the same kind of talent across the board as the SEC and other leagues. But you're also dealing with 10 teams in, 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 compared, to, compared to 14 and many of the other power conferences, 12 in the Pac-12. And, you know, so the numbers are going to be re- reflected a little bit with that. Yeah, I think the style of offense in the NFL – trending more toward the way things work in college is a factor in getting more Big 12 players in the league because, as we know, the Big 12 leads college football in, in a lot of ways in, in the way, uh, you know, as far as trends in, off- in the offensive game, just because of the coaches that are in the league with Cliff Kingsbury, with Dana Holgerson, with Lincoln Riley, um, and, 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 you know, there, there's, there's still always going to be surprises. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm on in Des Moines, but it's, it was, if you'd have told me a month before the draft that Alan Lazard wasn't going to get picked, um, you know, I, I just, I would have wondered if you saw him at all in college. I think there are some guys, whether they're in the Big 12 or elsewhere, that are going to make an impact at the next level, uh, despite, what was said over those three days during the draft. And, you know, he, to me, is one of those guys, and there are players not just in the Big 12 but everywhere in, in college football that fall into that category, which is, is, is a reason, you know, that you can't just take the results of the NFL draft and use that player for player to base your, uh, your, your decisions and you know your thoughts about the strengths of college football. There's a lot more that goes into it, and there are a lot of great players in the college game uh, than get picked on those three days in the draft. Um, let me follow up then with what you just stated, and you talk about great players that don't get picked. Well, one of those was Alan Lazard out of Iowa State. Were you? Most people thought he would be like four, five, six, someplace in there. Did not get his name called. Signs as a free agent in Jacksonville. That seems to be, at least on paper, a good fit because they need a top-flight receiver and a guy that offers what he offers, which is go up and get the ball in traffic. Were you a little surprised, A, he didn't hear his name called, and B, do you also believe that Jacksonville will give him a chance to try to make the team? Yeah, I was I was very surprised by it. Uh, he's as good of a receiver as as there's been over the last three four years in the Big Twelve. I mean, guys have come and and shined brightly on that stage for one year, like you had with Dede Westbrook. Um, you know, you had you had David Sills last year at West Virginia who put up bigger numbers than what Lazard did. But I think the consistency that he showed over his career at Iowa State and doing it for multiple coaches and multiple systems with, with a lot of different quarterbacks and always being the go-to guy, um, surrounded by talent that wasn't on the same level as what you have at Oklahoma or West Virginia or Oklahoma State. And I was surprised to see James Washington uh, n- n- not go higher. Um, you talk about a guy who was, just in- was incredibly productive. I think he's going to be a steal for the – uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and, uh, you know, with, with, um, was it the Steelers? But I know he ended up with Mason Rudolph in the same spot. I believe it was in Pittsburgh. 
And, uh, you know, to, to keep those guys together is, uh, is a pretty cool thing for Oklahoma State and for, and for both of those players who enjoyed such a great career together in college. But um, as far as Jacksonville being a fit for Lazard, you know, I, I think that that's one benefit that you have as a free agent, um, especially a guy like Lazard who's surprisingly a free agent who's not going to be picking between two teams when the draft's over. I would imagine that he had a number of places – uh, where he could have landed, so he's able to, you know, kind of turn the tables in this situation and pick for himself what he thinks is going to be the best spot and where he feels there is the most need for him. In some cases, uh, and I've heard this a lot mentioned over the years, you know, if you have the option of being a sixth or seventh round pick or of picking between a few places yourself after the draft as a free agent, there are situations. Uh, where it's where it's better to go as that, that as that undrafted free agent. So as you know, Mitch, a, a lot of people's post spring top twenty fives are starting to come out. USA Today had Iowa State checking in at number twenty two. You see a lot of Oklahoma, obviously at the top as you'd anticipate, even with Baker Mayfield and a good group of moving on in this class. Who's the team that you like in that next tier after Oklahoma? Who's the team you think is going to push the Sooners this season? That's some pretty good respect for the Cyclones, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I hope for the, for Matt Campbell and and for that program that they continue to have that kind of momentum as the off season goes along. I mean, it's 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 what you want. It'll help in recruiting. It'll just it'll it'll help give them energy going into the season. Um, not what I expected necessarily to be sitting here at the fir- the first week of May and be talking about the Cyclones as a top twenty five team, but you know, it's kind of the next step for for Iowa State. Um, I, I think uh, that, that West Virginia is is a great candidate to be in the next level behind Oklahoma. The Sooners are, are always going to be not, maybe not always, but you know in this era they're going to be the the, the trendy pick, regardless of what happens with the personnel. Um, you, you're going to look at results in recruiting. You're going to look at the guys who were coming up on the depth chart. I mean, Kyler Murray uh, for for his lack of experience at the quarterback spot is an incredible talent that, that steps in behind uh, or after Baker Mayfield. So you don't have any of that experience. I mean, replacing the Heisman Trophy winner is, is, is uh, ridiculously difficult to do. But from a, from a pedigree standpoint, you know, like I talked about with the Browns not being able to do much better filling that spot than with a guy like Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma can't do a lot better than to fill that spot with a guy like Kyler Murray. And if people aren't familiar with him, uh, I think they're going to be fairly fairly soon in his debut season as the as the Sooners QB. Uh, I, I, but I like West Virginia um, because of the experience with Will Greer uh, and Sills and other other offensive skill spots. I think they're just loaded at receiver, and they've got Jake Spavitt on now as their offensive coordinator for his second year. Tony Gibson as the D coordinator is entrenched there. And I think as as does as good of a job with what he's got as any coordinator in in the Big Twelve, and and is up there in all of college football. So I think West Virginia could have a breakthrough season and uh, and challenge Oklahoma for the the top spot. Uh, I'm real curious. I know that you're based out of Omaha, and we saw the spring game for Nebraska sold out, eighty six thousand people. They are on the Scott Frost bandwagon like it's going out of style. You've covered that program. You know that program. He just can't walk in and flip the switch in one year, can he? 
No, I mean Nebraska's not going to go from four and eight to ten and two. Um, that that would be. I, I, I would be shocked when you look at the Nebraska schedule if they win. If they win, you know, let's say eight and four would be remarkable for Nebraska in year one under Scott Frost. I think it'll be six or seven wins. And you know, my opinion on that, I, I reserve the right to change that up or down between now and and September first, uh, when you kind of have to lock those things in. But uh, you know, right, w- w- the the biggest area where Scott Frost has succeeded, and I think hit a home run in his first five months on the job, is is building uh, that connection with the players on campus and getting an immediate buy-in. Um, that's something that's really hard to do for coaches in a transition. And he's done it for a couple of reasons, and I think it's allowed Nebraska to be ahead of schedule in making that and getting that roadmap out on the table for a return to being uh, just a successful program. You know, you're not even going to use the word like championship or dominant. I mean, that's that's years down the road um, in, in the prog- Scott Frost progression with Nebraska as a head coach. But just getting back to being a good football program they're ahead of schedule in that because of the buy-in that he's got over the first five months and you know the players have fed off of the energy within the state uh where everybody loves what scott frost is doing and then there wasn't a a a a tendency where there is in in a lot of a lot of transitions to cling to the old staff and the old coaches there wasn't that because of the gracefulness gracefulness with which Mike Riley and his staff left Lincoln. You know, no, there there weren't necessarily hard feelings, and if there were, they if there were hard feelings, they weren't laid out in public. There weren't players who were who, who felt um, you, you know loyalty necessarily to the old guys. And Scott Frost brought everybody with him, so it was wholesale change, and it was a coaching staff, and not just a coaching staff, but a but a but a whole program that knew what it wanted to do as soon as they set that foot on the ground in Lincoln. So they're five months in, they've been through one spring, but there's a feel around the program that's more similar to what I've witnessed with schools that have already been through a season with a head coach and are into that second spring. I think that's when you get the, the, the total buy-in. I know it was with Matt Campbell at Iowa State a year ago this time, and you know that's kind of the feeling that you have with Scott Frost. Not to say, again, that they're going to go get double-digit wins, but I think that the... Uh, um, the path to getting back on on a good track it has been accelerated because of the way that he's been accepted by everybody inside the program. Year number one could be a bear. That schedule incredibly difficult. Crossovers with Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State, including two of those games on the road. And in the division, they go to Wisconsin, to Northwestern, and to Iowa. Going to be a tough one, at least schedule-wise, in year number one. We'll see uh, a 5-7 and seven season. I don't know if they're going to be selling any more of those comic books for Scott Frost. <laughs> probably, probably not. They'll take a break from that for the, for the time being and then gear up for year two. 5-7 and seven would, would be disappointing no matter the schedule. You know, Nebraska's going to have to be successful in September um, to be looking at a bowl game at the mm-hmm. end of the year. And, and, uh, and they have a... They have a uh, Fairly difficult home game in week two with with uh, with Colorado. So you know that's kind of a litmus litmus test right there off off the bat. Uh, you know how 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 close Nebraska can come to um, being respectable in year one under Scott Frost. If you see them go out and lay an egg against Colorado in in, uh, in week two, then I think the uh, 
the safe bet is that it's going to be a very, very long season in the Big Ten. No doubt. Hey, as always, Mitch, great catching up with you. Thank you so much for your time. And, yeah, well, maybe the Hawkeyes will be over in Omaha, for not just for the Big Ten tournament. They'll be there in Omaha for the College World Series. That happens. I guarantee I'll make a trip over there. Would love to see some black and gold in the stands at TD Ameritrade <laughs> Park. So, um, And you guys, you guys uh, find a way to, to, uh, to make the short drive, even if, uh, if Iowa, Iowa is not there. Need to go back. There is no doubt. Looking forward to it. Thanks, as always, for your time, Mitch. All right. Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Jim. Mitch Sherman joining us. ESPN.com covering the Big 12, Big 10, Nebraska. A little bit of everything for Mitch. Mm-hmm. Always good uh, talking football. And, Jim, I saw today our friends at ESPN, they released their full rundown with start times of all the bowl games coming up this season. So a complete rundown. And this year, going to be a little bit different. College football playoff semifinals will be played on Saturday, December 29th. Not New Year's Eve. They're not going to try to slide on there like they have a couple of times before. It'll actually be on a Saturday, and it'll actually be college football. The 29th with the semifinal, the championship will then be on Monday, January 7th. Hey, look, it's about time they got their head out of their backside and, and tried not to battle with that holiday like that. Look, that's... Uh, that that's just tough. It really is. And now I, I can't wait because it, it's it's right in in what you and I love to do. Look, you and I are in a business where we're paid to watch those games and then discuss them. And we're lucky to do what we have done for so long. Me, probably a two or three years a little longer than you. Something, like but that. something like that. But from from that standpoint, Trent. I am certainly glad that that will roll and and get it away from where everybody is so obliterated they have no idea what they're watching. Think of what we get here at the end of the uh, the college football season and the NFL season as well. So we have on Saturday the 29th, you'll get the two college football playoff semifinal games. You'll get either the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. That's sort of the two locations this year. So it'll uh-huh. be set up like that. Then on December 30th, we'll get the regular season finale, Week 17, for all the NFL games. Then on Monday, New Year's Eve, we still will get three bowl games. We'll get the Military Bowl, the Liberty Bowl, and the Gator Bowl. Look, not great bowl games, but still, it's football on New Year's Eve. Hey, that's yeah. pretty good. And the last one will start at 6.30, so it's not like it's going to be a late night. Then on January 1st, you'll still get the Outback Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. And then it'll be followed up with the NFL playoffs and the championship then on Monday, January 7th. Football Nirvana. The schedule is perfect this year. It is. About time. I mean, really. We've been begging for that. We're coming back on the other side. We'll go from a this variety of football, the college scene, over to the NFL. We're talking Green Bay Packers next. Evan Western is going to join us. We'll take a look at the Packers draft, get his thoughts on that. Joshua Jackson going there. We'll dive deeper into it with Evan, Evan Tex Western. He joins us coming up on the other side as we take you up until 6 o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC. Welcome back, everybody. We continue all the way till 6 tonight right here on the Big Talker 1700. Uh, Evan, affectionately known as Tex Western, uh, joining us now, uh, of course, the Acme Packing Company. You got it. Everything you need to know about the Green Bay Packers, Evan Tex has got it for you. 
Good afternoon, my man. Let's start first with your just your before we get into specific players, just your overall comments about how the Packers did in the NFL draft. Yeah, good to be with you guys. And in general, I think uh, Brian Gutekunst's first draft, you, you got to look at this as a pretty solid success. Um, adding a first-round pick in next year's draft, which is supposed to be rife with pass-rushing talent, is a great move. Um, getting the guy that they probably wanted at 14 after moving back up, uh, after picking that pick up, and then moving back to 18 to get Jair Alexander, I think was, was a nice move. You got some good value with a couple of different players in the draft. I'm sure we'll get to Josh Jackson. And then loading up on those big receivers, uh, you got to think one of those guys hopefully pans out. Um, all in all, I think uh, Gudikins gets a, a thumbs up for me on the way he handled things. 11 draft picks overall, a big number, more than uh, we're normally accustomed to seeing for a lot of NFL teams. With the draft and the number of picks that they had, how many of these guys do you think are going to make the initial roster coming out here, the 53-man roster, after we finish up camp? Yeah, I think that'll be interesting because two of them are, are special teams players on day three, so I think those two guys almost certainly are going to have spots. So at least that's not taking roster spots away from another guy on offense or defense. I think you probably see you know maybe one or two of the receivers making the team, um, certainly the, the top couple of picks. Well, I'd say you're probably looking at uh, – you know, if I had to put him up a number on it, eight, nine, somewhere in that range, um, you know, maybe two or three of these guys sneak through under the practice squad, though. All right. We uh, said we were going to uh, reference the Josh Jackson selection, so let's get into that. A, we were a little surprised that he fell to the second round. A lot of people had him penciled in late first. That didn't happen. Uh, early second is where he goes. Your perception of the Josh Jackson pick and how he will fit into the Packers secondary. Yeah, I think in terms of value, he was a terrific selection there at 45. Um, I, I certainly don't think the Packers had necessarily planned on doubling up at cornerback. But certainly the, the value there with Jackson was just way too good to pass up. Obviously, you know, he's got a great knack for finding the football. Um, he's got the length and the size that the Packers really tend to like at cornerback. Um, that six-foot height, um, good long arms, you know, pretty, pretty athletic guy, too. So um, I, I see uh, you see him probably competing for a role as an outside cornerback right now. Um, you know, he's got some veterans there, Tremont Williams, Devon House, he'll be kind of competing with. I also wouldn't rule out if they try to maybe give him a little bit of opportunity to play a little bit of safety as well. Uh, he was announced as a defensive back. He's mentioned in a couple of uh, interviews that uh, versatility, including safety, is something that, that he thought was a plus for him. And so we've actually got a piece coming out on that this afternoon that uh, will kind of address the possibility of using him just a little bit of safety. But certainly outside cornerback, um, he should be in the mix you know, pretty early on this season. You know, Jackson, a big playmaker in his only year as a starter at Iowa, led the country in interceptions, pass deflections, pro football focus, had him ranked as their top player in the country at the defensive back, cornerback position. But I, I guess the knock is not just the speed, but it was a one-year. You know, he, it was a one-year wonder kind of thing. Of the concerns that have been laid out for Jackson, what do you think is the biggest one? 
Yeah, I think the experience aspect is definitely a, a big thing. And there's questions a little bit about the scheme that he played in at Iowa. Um, the Packers, especially with new defensive coordinator Mike Dutton, they're expecting to play a lot of press man coverage. And, um, you know, one of the questions is how is he going to adjust from, you know, playing as much zone as he did in college to playing that press man style. But, you know, he's quick. He's, he's a big enough and a physical enough guy. I think he'll take to it. It's just a matter of developing that technique and that press man scheme. Is he a starter from day one, do you think? Or does he start on the bench and then play his way in later? Yeah, I think the Packers have generally been a little cautious with, with bringing defensive players, especially along into the starting lineup early. Kevin King kind of took a couple games into the regular season last year to, to really break into the rotation. So if you're, if you're asking me to bet if he's going to start day one, I'd say probably not. Um, they probably roll with King, maybe Tremont Williams on the outside and, and first rounder Jair Alexander maybe in the slot. But um, I think he'll definitely be in the rotation early on, and uh, and he should have an opportunity to, to take some snaps from uh, from Tamron Williams on the outside as the season goes along. Well, uh, later on in the draft, they started to maybe find the heir apparent to Jordy Nelson. Back-to-back selections of wide receivers at the end of the fifth and then in the sixth round. The first name, I'll be honest, don't know a whole lot about the uh, South Florida wide receiver, Valdez Scantling. Do know a whole lot, though, about Aquanius St. Brown. Saw him throughout his tenure at Notre Dame. Give us a hit on both those two guys, uh, your thoughts and expectations going back-to-back wide receiver there for the pack. Yeah, it's interesting. They clearly have a body type that they're looking for. It's that big six three, six four guy, um, you know, with with a lot of speed. Both Valdez Scantling and St. Brown, they both ran under five four five in the forty at the combine. Uh, Valdez Scantling, I think, was under four four. So certainly a lot of speed to burn. You know, you got deep threats uh, with both of these guys. St. Brown is a more polished route runner, and, and it really surprised me that he fell as far as he did in the draft. I actually thought that they, they might have considered taking him in round four instead, but you know, two rounds earlier. But um, I think he's the more polished player, the more ready to contribute on offense on day one. Velda Scantling, I think, is going to kind of slide into that Jeff Janis mold a little bit. He'll start off on special teams, maybe as a gunner, um, and then you know really need a, a year or two to start developing his route running skills. But um, certainly, again, big, physical, fast guys who, who have an opportunity to, um, to really take the, tape, the top off the defense uh, as they get going in their careers. Do you think there was any consideration late in the draft for Iowa State's Alan Lazard at 6'5", 6'6", or was it a case where because he ended up signing as a free agent with Jacksonville, but with the guys that you just discussed, do you think they thought about it? And if so, why do you think they passed? Yeah, I could definitely see him being in the mix. Um, again, you know, that big-bodied receiver. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched a ton on Lazard, but the only thing that I can think of is they tend to like guys with a lot of really good lateral quickness, too. And um, from what I could tell on Lazard is maybe that was an area of his game that wasn't quite uh, so, so advanced, maybe didn't have that kind of quick twitch ability. And so maybe that's why they went in a, in a different direction. And then the fact that they, you know, they did take three of these guys on day three, um, but yeah, that that would kind of be where where I lean on that is is they had that um, that kind of lateral agility as as something that they really prioritized as well as the height and the speed. So Gudekunst, uh, his first run through as GM, thumbs up. You happy about everything? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of uh, questions about the the pick of the Alabama punter in round yeah. five. Um, you know that that's a that's an interesting choice, especially with 
Justin Vogel, having seemed to have a pretty good year last year. Um, so, so it'll be interesting to see um, how that competition shakes out during the season. And then the other big question is waiting until the seventh round to take a pass rusher. Um, Kendall Donnerson, the seventh round pick, I like him a lot. He's got a ton of athletic ability. Again, that's a trend that you, you see through this whole draft class is terrific athletes. But um, I think it was just the way the board set up for the Packers that, that led to them not taking an edge rusher until late in the draft. So they're going to be leaning a lot on uh, Vince Beagle in his second year out of Wisconsin and then in, on Reggie Gilbert, who got a little bit of playing time off the practice squad late in the season last year, to really provide a boost to their pass rush group instead of uh, bringing in a rookie. Tex, in your estimation then, are the Packers still the team to beat or is it still Minnesota right now? Yeah, I mean, I look at the Packers as, as you know, if, if Rodgers stays healthy again, that's obviously always the, the caveat, but... Um, they, they should be the class of the division, and, and they really did address the biggest concern on that roster, as far as I'm concerned, which was the depth of the cornerback group. Um, you know, the, the pass rush really wasn't that bad last year, um, and I think you've got some, again, some developmental pieces there to lean on a little bit this year. Um, but it's just the, the coverage was just abysmal. So you bring in a new defensive coordinator, you bring in a nice little infusion of talent in the secondary, I think that's going to do wonders for this defense. And uh, certainly the offense with another year of um, development for the running backs and um, hopefully one of these receivers can contribute on day one. I think this is uh, definitely a, a team to beat in the NFC. All right, one more for you. We'll let you go on this. Brian Bulaga, his plans, the former Iowa Hawkeye, injury-riddled career up until this point, possibility of a pay cut possibly coming his way. What's the latest you know in the future of Bulaga? Yeah, it's, it actually sounded like the Packers asked him to take a pay cut earlier this offseason, and he declined. So, um, But from the comments that Gutekunst and Mike McCarthy have made this, uh, this offseason in the light of the draft, Sounds like he's very much still in their plans for this year. So um, the question is just going to be how soon is he going to be ready coming off a torn ACL? If he's ready on, on day one, then that's great. Um, I think, though, he's probably a candidate who might start the season on the pop list, maybe miss the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, you get a guy like Jason Spriggs or Kyle Murphy uh, probably taking those first couple of starts. But um, hopefully Belago will be able to plug back in there by midseason, um, and, and fingers crossed that he's able to, to stay healthy and, and play well for the rest of the year. Always good, man, when you take time and catch up with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for the great info on the Packers draft. Have a good one, man. You bet, guys. Anytime. Go Pack Go. <laughs> That's uh, Evan Tex Western. Always good when we have him on. The Acme Packing Company. That's a great line for the uh, for the website, Trent. I, I love having him on just so I can say the Acme Packing Company. It's a good one. One of the best websites out there, part of SB Nation, and uh, doing a great job keeping everybody up to date on what's happening with the Packers. We'll uh, keep going through the local teams, talk about their drafts here as we continue on. But Jimmy B., we're done for today. The show is over. What? So what's on what? the agenda for you coming up tonight? Only one NBA game. I told you yeah. earlier in the show, I, I was locked and loaded with both games last night. Two highly competitive games. This one tonight, can Utah, the number is 11. Can we at least yeah. keep, see them keep it within single digits? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I just don't think the Jazz can score with them. I anticipate that they will play a better game. Look, New Orleans played a much better game against Golden State last night and still lost by, by double digits. So um, I, I, don't, 
I think Utah is in it for a while, and I think it'll be entertaining. I mean, if Houston's playing, they're generally entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, but I just don't see the Jazz, you know, hanging around. I, I don't see a four or five point game. I'd like to, just from the standpoint of the competitiveness in this particular series, but I just don't think it's going to happen, Trent. I, I really don't. All right, I I like. Look, last night was. It doesn't get much better than last night. I mean, no. Cleveland doesn't even lead in regulation. Mm. Never had the lead at all in regulation, and then finds a way to win it in overtime. Uh, and and. You know, Kevin Love has got to get going. Sooner or later, the offense has to come back to him, you you would hope. He's he's working like a demon defensively and rebounding, but, man, he's got to help out offensively. Uh, you got to give LeBron James uh, some credit here. You really do with the way that he has carried his team so far. Baseball tonight, the Twins uh, picked up a victory finally this afternoon. Uh, really enjoyed watching uh, during the show with me and Ken from noon till 2. My Twins actually doing something good. So, uh, yeah, got, got a positive. But that means baseball at least takes a little bit of a backseat. Wish there was a little bit more NBA. But baseball tonight, you got Yankees-Astros. That's been a fun, entertaining mm-hmm. series. Late night, you yep. get Dodgers-Arizona again. Can the Dodgers start to pull themselves out of the muck? It's not looking good. How about the hockey tonight, Jimmy B? Are you back into it this evening? We get uh, Boston-Tampa followed by Vegas and San Jose. Uh, the Tampa Bay Boston series doesn't really blow my skirt up much. However, I am, I'm turning into a Las Vegas Golden Knights fan. Mm. Uh, and, and the only reason is, is that they're a freaking expansion team. Expansion team. These are cast off guys that no, that the teams didn't want. And here they are right now leading the series 2-1 over the San Jose Sharks. And, Look, it, it, it the last game that we saw went went into OT again. Uh, this has been a highly, highly entertaining series between these two teams, and I don't expect that to change, Trent. I, I think tonight's game is going to be a highly charged game, a lot of physical play in this game tonight. I think that one will be very, very interesting. Well, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of that. A busy show coming up tomorrow on a Thursday. Ken Silverstein will be stopping by. And, Jim, we're going to have an opportunity to talk with uh, NFL tight end George Kittle. Plan to stop by early in the program tomorrow. We'll, of course, as always, put out the guest list right before the show, right before 4 o'clock here on Jimmy B and TC on 1700. You have a good night, my man. We'll talk again tomorrow. All right, pal. Thank you. I appreciate that. We are out of here, everybody. Please join us tomorrow, bright and early, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the Big Talker 1700.